Welcome to Mothers Matter. This is a podcast which values mothers, gives mothers a voice and celebrates the essential role mothers play in their children's lives and often, when they get a minute, in society as a whole. In this podcast, I'm joined by Anne Fennell, who is the chair of Mothers at Home Matter and is also the mother of six boys. We're going to spend time uh, chatting about what it's like to be a mother of six. And I also spend time testing her to see if she can remember all the voluntary groups that she has set up and run. And uh, spoiler alert, we don't even cover all of them. We also spend quite a bit of time discussing the challenges facing families who want to have a parent caring full time for their children, such as housing and tax. And of course, as we are celebrating Mother's Day in this uh, podcast, we're going to be celebrating the unique and special role that mothers play in their children's lives. Um, I'm going to be referring to some research and I'll give you more details of that at the end. So I hope you enjoy it. Well, thank you, Anne, for meeting with me today. And we're talking in celebration of Mother's Day. And uh, you are the chair of Mothers at Home Matter. So who better to come to to talk about the importance of mothers? But I understand you also have a great expertise in being a mother. Uh, Can you tell us a bit about your family setup? Hi. um, Well, I've been a mother now for nearly 18 years. (laughs) I have have six children, six boys. Six boys. Um, and um, I, uh, I've, I say I've thoroughly enjoyed it. There's been lots of ups and downs, but on the whole, I found it very fulfilling. And I suppose that's why, really, um, I've uh, agreed to take on the role as chair because I do find it's something that I've, I've really valued, and I'd like to be able to um, just at least keep open the door for others to be able to enjoy motherhood as I, as I have done so. Yeah, so have you been uh, with the children at home all the time? Um, I've, yes, I have, I have. I gave up work, in fact, I gave up work before I became a mother. Um, it was, um, well, it was a very, it was quite a difficult decision. Um, we decided, my husband and I decided um, that I, that between us, we couldn't really give to society in the, in the, in the same way if we were both working really hard. Um, and so I took the decision to to give up my work. Um, it was a bit of a step in the dark. It was a bit idealistic. We didn't, I didn't really know what I was doing. Um, I was in publishing. Um, and I. what actually happened was that I actually went down to part-time work and I started to get involved in things in the community. Um, but, you know, the initial... What I initially found was that um, there was this big gap and I kind of lost my identity as, as in who I was. I, mean, I used to be able to say I was an editor. and um, But then um, I found that, um, you know, I, I started to do things that I really loved. I was sort of acting and I was helping produce drama plays. I was also editing as well. Um, but... Um, I quite soon got pregnant. I was I, I had my first baby at twenty five, and uh, then I seem to have continued to have babies ever since. <laughs> How old's your youngest one? My youngest is three. Right, so, so he's... he's approaching school, and it'll be the first time in eighteen years that I'll, I'll have uh, all my children in school. Amazing. <laughs> nobody, at, nobody at home. Well, you'll have one maybe at university. What's your oldest going to do? Uh, well, he's not quite... A, he's a, he's in the upper sixth. No, oh, no, he's in the lower sixth now. So I'll have one year where they're all in school. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and let's just think about um, having six boys mm-hmm. uh, now. How, how do the logistics work? What do, how do you manage 
food time, <laughs> cooking, that sort of thing? Yeah, well, it... it um, uh, yes, it's it's quite a juggling act. Um, it's quite everything's quite scheduled. <laughs> um, I do big deliveries, but it's never enough. I don't know where the food goes. <laughs> well, I do, but <laughs> I'm always amazed. Um, you know, if anyone were to come to my house, they'd think I'm stockpiling. <laughs> the cereals go down in no time. Um, so we have quite a we have quite a scheduled day. Uh, we get up quite early. The boys go to school quite early. So breakfast is a, is a, we, we eat together, so breakfast is our main meal. We have a family meal, which is always lovely. It's a sort of focus point for the day. Um, when they're gone, I quickly clear the table and then I get um, the younger ones to school. Um, uh, I try and fit a bit of cleaning in when they've gone. Um, but the, the evening routine is quite full on. Um, they'll come home, the dinner's at 5, 5.30. I have to clear up quickly so that they can get on with their homework and homework's in various rooms. And I feel a bit like a policeman making sure they're actually doing their homework and not, you know, on their phones or... Um, so, yeah, it, it's, quite, it's quite a regulated life with six children. And can, and can they do things after school or has it been too logistically difficult to do clubs and things no they do do clubs um you know our life's a bit in uh, up uh, our life's a bit in in lim not limbo that's one word um as you flux. know in flux at the moment so um but um yes yeah, so they, they've got involved in many different things actually uh, and they've different talents i've tried to keep them all to doing rugby apart from one of them's now left um just so that I can we can do that all on sunday we all go to church um they all do play a musical instrument, um, so that has to be fitted into a schedule and they do it all pretty much at the same time. So we have various instruments going on in the house. Um, but, um, you know, we, we do, yes, when we can. And do the older ones help with younger ones at all? <laughs> they Ever? do, and they also wind them up. <laughs> but yes, no, they do, they do. And, and I think that's a lovely thing about being a big family. In fact, they all, sh they all, they're all still in one bedroom, so they're actually very close. Um, and um, how do you fit? How do you fit them in one bedroom if you've got triple bunks? Quintuple, quintuple, uh, five, what? five bunk beds. What? It's got <laughs> five. It's got five layers yes. on it. Five layers on it. Is, is it a really <laughs> high <laughs> roof? <laughs> no, no, no. It's a long. It's a sort of long. So we've got um, uh, sort of vertically two, yes. and then two, and then. Oh, one, okay. And okay. a cot on the side. Okay. <laughs> oh, so you don't have five all above no, each other? It's no, not like no. a sort of couchette no. in a train or something like that? No. Golly. And I mean, they... as much as boys look after each other, yes, they do. And they're very good, but they, you know. <laughs> I'd have you, as you, an expert, would you say there's an easier age or a harder age? Um, well, looking back, you know, the age of three is not a lovely age. <laughs> and they're just exploring everything and they can talk to you and they don't answer you back at every <laughs> every stage. Um, and they're not so emotionally up and down all the time. Um, so I, I think that's probably the easiest. And, and then as you get older, six, seven, eight, they're quite steady and stable. I think, you know, each stage throws something at you and certainly the teenage ages throw, you know, are quite challenging, but... Um, but it also you learn a lot and you grow a lot and and there's so much fun as well. Mm. That sounds great. And uh, and in terms of just talking about your state of flux, which we'll yeah. talk about another time, mm. that's due to your housing situation, that's isn't right. it? So so what's happened with that? Well, uh, about probably about two years ago now, um, 
we found ourselves in. We were renting and we've been there for about 11 years. Um, and we found, and our landlord wanted the house back, which is something you don't really expect, although we should have done. Um, and you kind of feel the rugs being pulled from your feet. It was quite a difficult time. Um, and at the time, um, we realised that in 10 years, rents had gone up by almost £1,000 a month. Uh, and, and to buy a house was, was very, very difficult. Um, so we started looking at building our own house because my husband's an architect. And um, handy. Yeah. <laughs> and we looked into something called the right to build, which I think we might cover at another, yeah. another time. So um, after, after um, a long time sort of realising that we couldn't either buy and, and renting, we didn't really want to go back into it. We, we decided to go for building our own home. And after a couple of years, we managed to, we just managed to buy our own plot of land. We just got planning permission. <laughs> Wonderful. And um, so hopefully we're, it's going to be a new adventure for our family and we're, that's what, that's what we're looking to do. <laughs> yes, because we want to talk in future about um, some of the problems with renting. If you're, There's some issues now if one of you's at home, yeah. isn't there? Yeah. And, uh, well, obviously having six children is, makes it tricky to find big enough houses. But in terms of buying, would, would that be too expensive for you as well? Because you're in London, aren't you? Well, I think, you know, I think most people will find this, that um, whereas once, you know, our parents' generation, housing was sort of three and a half times your, mm. a single person's wage, so your father, you know, and not everyone could buy, but, uh, you know, more people could. Now it's sort of, in London anyway, it's over 17 times the mm. average wage, if not more, like more like 25 times the average wage. Um, you know, we were looking at ex-council houses on ex-council estates for half a million. When they were tiny, they were like two up, two down. And um, even though we've lived in small places, I just thought that this is just ridiculous. <laughs> um, this surely can't be what the only thing that we can live in. Um, and the other thing I hadn't really uh, realised or I hadn't really um, understood, and, and people had told me, especially through Mothers at Home Matter, through, um, is that um, landlords, you know, they can put down what they want. So they, there was a situation where one mother wrote to us to say, <clears throat> the landlord was saying um, she couldn't live there because she only had one income. And even though the husband could cover the income, they didn't want that because they wanted the security of having a two-income family in case one lost mm. The jobs and I, and I actually rang up the estate agent. I said, "Look, surely you're discriminating against people caring for their children." And they said, "Well, I'm sorry, tough luck. You know, they, that's what the landlord wants." Um, and I myself found it quite humiliating because every time I rang up and I booked an appointment to see a house, I would quite often be rung up the next day and you'd say, "Well, actually, no, sorry, they don't." want you because <laughs> I've got six children um and quite often you know the you know are you on benefits and I say no and are you sure you're not on benefits <laughs> I've just told you so you know it's, it's quite a difficult process <laughs> mm, yeah um, yeah I think that, it, that housing is one of the big issues and in fact it's why people both both parents have to work isn't it absolutely yeah, yeah. But uh, going back to what you're involved, so you only have six children to look after. But I must before we move on, washing. How do you cope with washing? Yeah, well, <laughs> how does that work? Um, I tend to try and do big loads, you know, trying to have them, say, do it twice or three times a week where I do, like, sort of six loads of washing in one go. And I'll either take it all to the dryers um, and uh, try and do it, yeah, try and do it in one go. 
Oh, yeah, it, it can be a nightmare. Sometimes I, I don't think, wow, I've just done it. And sometimes it just feels like it drags on and on and on. And I thought, I just washed that. And especially when they have rugby, ma- you know, rugby matches and it's really muddy. Yes. Oh, gosh. So, and do you, in terms of having six, do you see any repeated personalities? Or are you seeing matches or are they all totally different? Um, they are different, but there are characteristics of the same. Um, and I do think they go through certain stages. So... Um, well, I suppose, for example, when they're very young, very, very young, they sort of, it's quite easy to leave them with people for short periods of time. Uh, when they hit sort of eight, nine months, you see a change. You sort of see a, a kind of attachment. They're more worried where you are, um, you know, looking to see that you're not, you haven't sort of left them and gone. And then that stage passes and, um, you know, at two, they call it a terrible two. So I actually find it quite a fascinating age it's quite lovely and and now I and when you have more you don't worry so much so the first time you think it's all your fault and how bad a mum you are and you know <laughs> I remember you know looking at other people in, in shopping centres and their babies screaming and this is before I had children I'm thinking oh gosh you know <laughs> they can't control their children and then you know you've got your own absolutely kicking up a fuss pulling everything off the shelves and then you decide you're not going to do that for a while you're not going to take them shopping but then you, you kind of realise that it's a phase and you think you know you realise it's going to Pass. Um, and uh, and I think it's you know their frustration because they can't quite yet talk they can't quite yet express themselves so you stop taking things personally and you just sort of get on with things so that that and then by three I think it's much more settled they kind of found you know they know where they are they know their place in their family and, and they're where they can communicate they verbally can, so yeah. much better and that, that makes such a difference yeah and you it? can explain things to them and they kind of they kind of ask you more questions and yeah, and then they start to go to school. And, and actually, that period then is, is relatively easy, I think, until until you start hitting the sort of teenage where hormones really do kick in. And then, and also all the problems, you know, friends' problems and, you know, despite where you go, you can go to very good schools, you know, you still have issues with friends and they come home and they haven't got any friends. And and that's really, you know, upsetting because you don't like to see your children upset. But it, um, but then again, that passes too. <laughs> so, yeah. And also yeah. things like, you know, you worry so much when your first one's going through the SATs, you know, his first year two SATs, and you kind of try and prepare them or whatever. And the last one he went through, I didn't even realise he was doing it. <laughs> I can't even... <laughs> so, you know... <laughs> I know you realise it's not so important. These things aren't so important. <laughs> I think you touched on a really important um, parenting technique there, which is avoidance of <laughs> difficult situations. And you said that they, you know, the shopping said that you just don't take them shopping for a while. Mm. I've done that. Generally, I think with children, the most effective thing is to try and avoid letting them get into trouble in the first place <laughs> or, you know, deciding that you're okay with whatever it was they were doing, you know, like at home, if you didn't want them to do something and they keep doing it, you think, oh, whatever, that's that. That's fine. And and I find that the same with the dog. <laughs> I just think, well, I'm not going to put her somewhere where she's going to be really naughty and I'll put her on the lead. So I think avoidance yeah. technique yeah. is really, really I important for parenting. I had my third parenting. child. Is, is lovely. He's a fantastic little boy. But at the age of about two and a half, he was scratching people. And they got to a point where somebody came up to me and said, whose is this child? <laughs> and I felt so embarrassed. No idea. So I've got I... no idea who's that child is, but she's definitely a bad mother. <laughs> so I, I left I left nursery groups for, for about six months. <laughs> oh dear. Is there anything you, you started doing differently, apart from not worrying so much, as you got into your sort of over five, num- five children? <laughs> um... um... 
well, I didn't attend so many groups because they have the company of their brothers, I and mean, you don't you don't need it so much. I think partly it's also for yourself, you know, to meet other mm-hmm. people, and um, and also you know you don't need to have that kind of one to one attention, you know, with your third and fourth. Partly because they get it so you know with their brothers and everything else, um, and they seem to grow up themselves anyway without yeah. you having to to do everything. I think I'm more definitely more relaxed. Um, and I think I think you don't worry so much, do you? Because they seem to they seem to bounce back. Yeah, <laughs> they fall yeah. down. They get up again. Yes. Oh, brilliant. So yes. Yeah, so only having six children's left you with plenty of time to get involved with other stuff. And um, before we talk about mothers at home matter, you've got, you've got other things that you're involved mm. with as well. What else are you yeah. involved with? Um, well, I've been I've always been one of those people who get involved. So in university, I was always involved with loads of different things and my um, my husband said to me quite early on you know you you mustn't just get focused you mean put all your energies into into raising the boys because he said they will go mm. <laughs> you know he's one of five mm. right and, and he said um you, you know there will be a time when you know you'll you, you know you, you'll always be their mother but you know they won't need you as much and then there'll be a sort of gap in your life so just you know make sure you've got something else going on and he, he sort of really pushed me and at the time I don't think I was too happy with it but I'm so grateful now because um you know you don't rely on them being your sort of sole purpose as it were even though they are the mm. most important thing you know now mm. so um, I, I first I think I first started learning the piano which was great because then I, I um I started teaching it, which was, I had a few, and I only took people up to grade one, grade two, but because I was in the environment where friends were asking if there was a piano teacher, I said, well, I could just teach them up to grade one and two, and that was good, so a little bit, little bit of income. Um, and then I uh, got involved with a school group. We tried to start a, a primary school. Um, you tried to start a primary school? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> because, well, we, uh, my, my husband's Catholic and we went to the Catholic church and they didn't have a, a, a school. And so we tried to start one. And we, did, and we got really far. We got to the point where the uh, local authority were about to, to grant us permission um, but unfortunately, it fell through. I'm actually quite glad now <laughs> because that would have been I would have been stuck for life with that. But um, the other things, um, my boys were really into Star Wars and um, lightsaber fighting, and, and you know Zorro Where's and going? fighting. So, yeah, so. so we, we started. I started a fencing club, <laughs> <laughs> which was great. So um, I couldn't find a local club for them to do fencing. Um, I just thought it'd be nice for them to do, just rather than whack each other around the house. Have you <laughs> seen them in France? They're now recognising lightsaber oh, fighting. Really? Yeah, they oh, brought really? it. I don't know how they're recognising it, but it's an official thing okay. in France. So there you go. Oh, okay. They can go back to lightsaber <laughs> fighting. Well, the younger ones still do. But um, anyway, so I asked my, um, I asked my uh, the church lady, the youth lady, uh, if she would be happy if I, you know, if we could start a club the youth there and she was very happy so I found a teacher and he was very happy to come and he came every Friday and we turned it into um we called it sort of fellowship fighting and you know, a fencing <laughs> fellowship and, and food and we we organized so every Friday they'd have um fencing and then they would everyone would bring something for dinner so we'd all do dinner with that Friday and then they would have sort of a bit of fun and mm. and charge around the church, <laughs> the church hall but it, it was a lovely time we did it for about four years um so lately I've um, we as the boys have got older and obviously the teenage we've just started um, what's called um, Upstage which is a teenage theatre mm. sort of Upstage, company yeah. um, it's only started last year uh, and um, 
Did, it, the, did the boys ask about it or did you think it was no, a good that, idea for them? that actually came through... Um, the uh, the priest of the school they go to he he's very dramatic he, he's he loves drama rather and he started one for young children and and I because I did drama uh, before having children and I was like oh yeah it'd be lovely to do that and he said right I'm going to start this January <laughs> well, this is last year and um, I said well I'm really busy but I'd love to be involved so we but we started so what we started with was a day's event and we did the Emperor's New Clothes and that that was really good because the the story has lots of um you know interesting or challenges and also um you know it talks about being swayed by other people's opinions so there's a lot of issues that we could talk about with the children mm-hmm. and we had a debate on on um you know, flattery or and, and on social media and how we're influenced by things. Mm. And uh, we put it all in a day. We were absolutely exhausted, but the, <laughs> the children loved it. <laughs> and, and they, they all said, <laughs> when are you doing it again? And the parents said, when are you doing this again? When are you doing this again? <laughs> yeah. But we also, we did um, something in the summer, which was um, the mechanicals from Midsummer Night's Dream. And that, that was just fun. That was, uh, and we hope to do some more, but, you know, that's a matter of time. And, and the latest thing that we've started is um, <clears throat> something called Logos, mm. which is... Um, a chance for young people to discuss everything uh, and again that's with the priest and he's um he's he's sort of he started with the existence of god <laughs> but it's um and he says you know it really it's there to challenge and to talk about anything and i think it's really important because i think one thing that children or teenagers don't get the chance to do is just to have a sort of safe environment when they can question mm. everything and there's so many things that have been thrown at them at the moment that's that um it just gives them that space and when they meet in cream which is a nice cream parlor <laughs> um and uh just a chance to really debate and do, do your boys get involved with these oh yeah things? they're forced to <laughs> i was going to say do they go so what's next mom enthusiastically yeah. but actually they they're really enjoying it so that's yes good. and how do you uh, just on the technical side how do you manage your time um well, I get up quite early in the morning um, and I go to bed quite late at night. <laughs> and when the boys, well, when the children were young, when they slept, I'd fit, fit things in. But I, I'm also very lucky. Um, I do have my mum and dad um, and I do have a very supportive husband um, and, and, and in-laws as well. So my mum and dad have given me particularly because they, they used to live two doors away from me a lot of help. So... They, yeah, that, that does enable other things to happen. And they can. Your mum sometimes looks after the boys, doesn't yeah. she? When you're you're at meetings and things. Yeah. You she bring... does say to me, "Anne, you're meant to be a mother at home. What are you doing? <laughs> Going out again?" But yeah. <laughs> I, know. <laughs> I, I know. Yes, I bring them along. <laughs> I know at the mothers' home matter meetings, you usually have one child. Yeah. So the, the latest, the latest child comes with you, but they all look the same. <laughs> they, all, <laughs> they all look the same. <laughs> so we can't tell. We think it's just the same one you keep bringing. Yeah. <laughs> it's the same clothes. Yeah. So with mothers at home matter. Yeah. Um, and you know, and as you know, I was involved before, and yes. I know you do an awful lot. Uh, what is it that drives you about the time that you give up? So you're not going to sit down and watch TV or go to bed. You're going to do some stuff for Mothers at Home Matter uh, as chair. What is it that inspires you about it? Um, well, I, I first got involved because um, well, the government took away child benefit, and it and it affected me. Although. To be too honest, it initially wasn't the effect that it had on our family that got me involved. I just, um, it was a friend who pushed me into it. She sort of said, you know, Anne, this is so unfair. You know, you're quite political. Can you do something about it? And I said, well, no. I mean, it's, it sounds fair enough. You know, people who are earning more should, should you know, 
not getting any you know we're entitled not to to lose it but she said no 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 people who are earning twice as much as us are losing it but Mm. but people who are earning who are on a single income lose it at sort of at the time it was going to be 40,000 so I started to look into it and the more I looked into it the more unfair it really was so I wrote to Mothers at Home Matter I said you know what are you doing about it what are you doing someone (laughs) someone there sort this out (laughs) <laughs> and the chair at the time wrote back to me and said, well, you know, if you're interested, get involved. <laughs> because we need people to campaign. And so I thought, OK, well, fair enough. When it was I, very I dangerous did. to write to Mothers at Home Matter. So, yeah. yeah. And, um, and I started to look at the tax system, which the more I looked at it, the more I thought, oh, my goodness, it really is really quite unjust, actually. Yes. Um, and really does penalise you. And, and unfortunately, the uh, coalition government continued to penalise Mothers at Home more and more. Um, but I think um, I suppose what what drives what carries you know what I what drives me now is the sense that I think we're in danger of, of of losing the chance to be at home with our children because more and more um, you know economic incentives are stacked against being at home mothers are really being pushed out to work and you know it's something that can be changed it is through policy that this is happening and it's not it's not you know, it is conscious decision that is driving mothers into work. And um, although emancipation of women is a good thing, it ceases to be a good thing if, you know, people are forced into work and that's their only option. And survey after survey shows that mothers would like more time with their children at home. Um, and I found it fulfilling and, and I know that others others would like that chance. And so I think that's what keeps me going. And I mean, the other day I went to a meeting and I was so, I came out so disheartened. I just thought there's nobody saying that mothers are important. Mm. Um, There there are some people saying fathers are important, Um, but I think there's just a reluctance to talk about motherhood. And there's a reluctance to talk about that there's any, um, anything special between a mother and a child. And I think, even if we're there to support the very few who are able to do it or who want to do it, that's just important in itself. So I'll keep going. <laughs> yeah. Why Why do you think people are reluctant to talk about motherhood and mothers in general? Well, I think um, it's unpolitically correct. <laughs> it's... it's um, well, I think there's two reasons. I think one is economic. I think it makes... For, for the sort of treasury, it's... Um, it looks better to have mothers in work. Your GDP, you know, it looks better on their GDP. It raises GDP, even though it's not an, you know, an increase in, in productivity because you're just transferring, you're transferring work from the unpaid sector into the paid sector. But it can show as growth. Um, I think. What do you mean? Can you just say again? Yes. What do you mean by transferring work from the unpaid sector into the paid sector? Well, you know, you're not. So if if. If I'm looking after my children, I, I'm still working, um, but it doesn't show up. I, I'm counted as an, uh, an active... Uh, in a, inactive economic unit. Yes, I'm an inactive <laughs> economic unit. But the moment I give my child somebody else to look after, then it's counted, you know, it's counted as growth. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, I'm paying them, and then that can be noted down. Um, and uh, so, so the, the, it's not... Somebody else is doing the same work that I was doing. It's just it's counted. Um, mm. So it's not a change. It's not a, a, an increase in productivity. It's just a 
change in how we account for things. But what, what we don't account for things is the sort of is the strength of the family and, and what mm. happens in the kind of emotional world. And what, so why do you think mothers are important? Um, well, mothers when they're being mothers with their children. Well, I think well, the first thing that comes to my head is that um, you know we have a natural advantage over men. You know, we we mother we um, we have we obviously um, carry the child, and there, there's um, there's a bond right from the start. Um, we give life, whether we don't give life ourselves, but through us, and we nourish the child. And I think, you know, especially in those two, the, the first couple of years, the child is almost a part of you. Um, and I think the two most, two most important things that a mother does is they soothe the child, to soothe the child's distress and help regulate their emotions. Mm. Um, I mean, I would never have let anyone else do it. <laughs> no, no. If I can, yeah. And have you um, been aware, as your children have been growing up, of uh, being grateful that you've been there at certain points? Uh, are you aware of them needing you all the way through? Yeah, absolutely. And you, and you don't know that every single day, all the time. But there are moments where, um, you know, both happy and sad, you know, sometimes um, it's just those moments where you really connect mm. um, and you kind of drop the kind of what I must be doing or what I should be doing. And, and you really, I mean, that, that happens whether you're working or not, but I just think just knowing that you can be around because sometimes they do come back really upset um, from school or um, that's a bit later on in life. But I think in, in the early years, I just I just think the consistency is important. And, and I knew that when I, when I first had mine, um, I didn't even want my mother to be the one looking after mm. the child because I just wanted to be the one who would set um, how I wanted to raise the children. And, and, and I totally trust my mother, but she would do things differently. Um, I mean, I'm less fussy now. I think I'm just grateful for the help, but... <laughs> but <laughs> care anymore. But, anymore but I, I just think it's yeah. just... You do change. You change in yourself. I think your motherhood is is a is a massive change, and and you find you know you grow in yourself, and and um, you develop in different ways, and you use things you can't really imagine um, before. But um, that you know to lose that opportunity, I, I think would be such a shame. But I think there's also we talk about mothers because of Mother's Day, yeah. and there's a lot that as a mother you instinctively want to be able to do uh, mm. with your children but the the conversations never couched in terms of what the children need no, no. and what the children need is quite often is their mother and I'm just going to refer to this bit of uh, yeah. research about yeah. oxytocin um, that oxytocin is this um, hormone that acts as a neurotransmitter in the brain I'm referring to um, a couple of studies and it basically once you have mothers and children together then oxytocin can improve children's ability to read other people's moods um, and that helps with empathy and social behaviour. And then it also helps babies become securely attached. But it has a, oxytocin has an effect on the mother of making her more sensitive and more caring and better able to read nonverbal cues. Mm -hmm. So the more time you're spending with your little children, yeah. I don't know what happens to oxytocin when they're teenagers. <laughs> Suddenly, <laughs> it's a reverse effect. But when they're little children, the longer you're spending with the children, the more um, you're able to pick up on their 
their just their gestures, the, what they actually want, and it becomes much easier to look after them, partly because you have some experience um, because you're spending a lot of time with them, but also because you're both producing oxytocin, which is putting you yeah. in uh, connection with each other. But that's what you were saying before about being... Um, uh, being able to regulate their emotions that yes. <clears throat> I think what's happening is that we are having to uh, look at science to yeah. support the value of mothers yes. because uh, mothers are so often airbrushed out of every crucial yeah. decision yeah. that people think that anyone can replace them apart from the mother themselves yes. yeah. <laughs> uh, people think policymakers think anyone can replace a mother yeah. but actually there's evidence that time spent with the mother yeah. helps the child regulate their emotions and that's another that's an effect on the brain that they have yeah. and that they they get a better ability to self-regulate because they're getting when they're distressed just being with the mother yeah. will soothe them absolutely and and I think you can feel that, you know, when you give your child a hug, not only do you feel, mm. you know, this warm affection, but, you know, they their body relaxes and you can feel that when you're giving them the hug. Mm. Um, and like you're saying, you're having to now go to science to kind of prove all these things, which you intuitively kind of know. You just pick them up, give them a big hug. And, and I think that the danger is, is that we're relying on professionals now to sort out all these problems where, you know, a lot of them could just be... <laughs> Mm. you know healed with a big hug and a kiss and you know <laughs> hot chocolate and that, yes. you know so um and, and one, that's one thing that I suppose again that I find really important for mothers at home matter I do think um we're writing mothers out of the kind of script and policy making so for example you know David Cameron when he was prime minister in his speech in the autumn conference um this is what he said you know if you work hard and do the right thing we say you should keep more of your own money to spend as you choose. The Conservative Party is a union for the mother who works all the hours God sends to give her children the best start. These are the people we represent, the people who want to make something with their lives. These are the people we're fighting for. Mm. You know, Nick Clegg talked about mothers and sepia, you know, mothers at home and sepia tinted. And um, <laughs> I just think, you know, mothers at home matter. We're just here to give a different view, <laughs> just to, to at least sort of we're a voice in the wilderness, you know. But just to say, you know, that is not... Going to work is not the only thing mm. whereby you can be valued. You know, mm. you are unique. Um, it, it is such a short period of time. You know, as my children are now going to school, I feel like I've got time to do other things. But it, uh, I think, you know, it's talked about, you know, there is time. There is time to do careers and stuff, but not all at the same time. And, and I think we just need to recognise that children need you know time <laughs> and mm -hmm. I think it's a wonderful thing to be able to really um well empower empower mothers to be mothers and to, mm -hmm. to really find to find what it means and, and again you know I'm painting a rosy picture but and, and I do realize that it can be very difficult for mothers and some mothers suffer you know postnatal depression and it's not easy and and here we're trying to with mothers at home matter trying to to build up a support network for for things like postnatal depression. Mm -hmm. um, but I think, you know, one thing that we've also sort of lost is this community. So, you know, that mothers feel very alone because in the society we're in, we're sort of pocketed it in our own homes. Um, and so, you know, there are definitely challenges and, it, and it's definitely, you know, I'm not, it's not all easy at all, but it'd be a shame to, to lose the opportunity 
to be able to look after your own children. Yeah, well, they also, and it's something that um, my dad, who's my greatest critic, refers to, is that not all mothers are perfect mothers no, either. Well, actually, no mothers. No <laughs> mothers are perfect mothers. <laughs> but in the sense, they're perfect because they are that child's mother. And there's a lot of biological link. And I think the child link. sees their mother until maybe later when they get a bit older. But when they're young, they yes. see their mother as the most wonderful well, thing. Well, they, they instinctively we... want to be with them, don't they? I remember seeing some um, poor mothers on the street in Reading who'd uh, had too much alcohol and looked like they were in a bit of trouble but they had children hanging around them their mm. children wanted to be with them until they hit uh, teenage and then yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> they don't want yeah. to be but I think um I you know my daughter's 13 so I'm inexperienced on teenagers but I think they want you there on their your yeah, their they terms do. They, do. they want you at some time and it's still lovely because I'm what I've seen as well is they go through this period where they don't kind of want you they can't they do want you but they don't but then they come round and then they start being mm. more affectionate again mm. and they sort of, they'll come and give you a hug when you're not expecting it or put their head on your shoulder or yes and they, you know it's lovely it's a I different relationship there's always a sense of um slipping away you know that they're getting older and you think these times are limited and so I always really appreciate all the time with my well, you know, almost all the time with the children, apart from when they're shouting at me because I've not done sausages for supper. Oh, this yeah. is the only acceptable food, sausages and pasta. Yeah, um, I was two year old shouting because you've got the same socks on and what's a different sock? Oh, oh, yeah. <laughs> and there's nothing you can do to placate him. Oh, I, I won't come out of the house because he hasn't got <laughs> the right... I don't know. <laughs> I, don't, I remember Charlie having a fit in um, a shop, a shoe shop, because he, I think he wanted one shoe of one sort and one shoe of another sort. <laughs> yes. And what's worse is my parents were there as well well so they were doing the judgmental sort of well it wouldn't have happened if it was up to us and actually I think one thing about parenting and it's very good for your um uh humility humility (laughs) because because it's always a person that you most want to impress that they manage to (laughs) they manage to show you show you up yeah yeah that's quite good for ones but going back to that thing about the hug there was a really interesting um research item that came out talking about parents' brains being wired differently. And when I do my Father's Matter interview, which I'll do just before Father's Day, Mm. uh, we'll focus on all the wonderful things about fathers Mm. and how they are um, uniquely special in their children's lives. But this is Mother's Day, and so fathers can wait. But um, mothers, they showed that the part of the brain, the frontal cortex in women, when they hear children crying, lights up, the emotional center lights up, and it's, it snaps out of rest mode, it says, and it goes into comforting mode. Mm. And it immediately thinks there's an issue here that I need to comfort this child. And I remember the research, the flip side, that fathers' brains go into solving a problem mode and they think there is an issue, this child must stop crying. I must stop it crying. Whereas mothers think there's a problem here that that needs to be solved. And so mothers instinctively think, I'll give you a hug and I will... um, I'll try and soothe you that way. And that's what the, the children need at that point. They're not thinking, oh, there's an issue and there's a problem that needs to be solved here. They just yeah. feel an emotion that they need to deal with. Yeah. Um, and there's there's so much um, <clears throat> research coming out about why mothers really matter in children's lives and what a difference it makes. And and it's, um, the I think someone said, more is more. So the more time you can spend with them, the better, really. If you don't have much time with them, then you make the most of that time. But uh, just being available a lot of the time, what little babies need is their mothers to be around yeah. because that helps them deal with any of the stresses of life. Yeah. And if their mother isn't around, so that's stressful already. <laughs> or at least a mother you know, figure. So if you're not around the grandparent who acts as a mother figure... Or, so, yeah, and I think in, in terms of policy as well, you know, 
I think we need to be looking at what do children need and and if it and if it can't be the mother then maybe the grandparent and if it can't be the grandparent maybe you know a relative who acts as a mother figure or or a childminder before we start pushing all our resources into mm. external you know childcare mm. settings and you know professionals and nurseries and and the problem is as well which I slightly worry about is you know you're getting more and more legislation you can't touch a child you can't do this and that so you know where does that you know what Mm. they do need at that age is lots of hugs yes (laughs) yes. you don't want them to be stopping hugging and yes so I I don't know where that's going but well I think you um I don't know if you've mentioned it specifically but the one thing that uh, mothers in particular offer is love and love is what isn't offered really by people in an external setting you might get it from the grandmother and the father well you will get it from the grandmother and the father and so on yeah but too much <laughs> <laughs> no discipline lots of ice cream you know? lots of ice cream well, yes I think you, when you're a grandparent you must be able to take your foot off the brake a bit and think I'll oh, stuff it I'm going to give them chocolate yeah. <laughs> and then I'm going to go home um, and let them watch screens and that sort of thing uh, to keep them pacified but um Love is so important, and in in and there's there's whole books about um, what's the book? about well, love wiring the child's brain differently, yeah. and how how children need love to develop, and the pathways in their brain develop differently when they're being loved. Yeah. Well, when I think of my own mother, I just think of unconditional love. Mm. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, she's a person I go to for a hug, and um, yeah, we have our definitely have our differences, and um, but um, I just see her as somebody who just will be there for me whatever mm-hmm. I mean, my father's there too absolutely but you know my mum will sacrifice everything and just come and I think I mean again not like you said not all mothers are the same but I think everyone can recognize the the quality and I think you know the name mother in itself is so much holds so much and for centuries and thousands and thousands of years that you know the mother earth mother mm. mother nature it, it sort of embodies embodies um the essence uh, essence of you know life-giving force mm. nurturing nourishment tenderness sacrifice love mm. you know it'd be ashamed to to lose that um, but it gets downgraded into mum i hate mum i find <laughs> mum really consent and condescending oh can all the mums come over here I think, oh for goodness sake i'm a you know i'm a person i'm not a bit of mother is a sort of description of a role of what you're doing and so on i remember my my mother saying that when she was um pregnant with my sister uh, they lived abroad a lot and she was in an expat society and so all the ladies were together and some child came running in crying and ran straight past the mother to the ayah to the, the nursemaid and my mother was thinking my child will never do that and she always wanted us to to go to her with any problems for hugs and and to be patched up and so on it was slightly disrupted by going to boarding school but but uh, when I was at home <laughs> when I was at home which I was most of the time I suppose um Yes, definitely. You'd go, you'd go to your mother, and you don't think of the impact on your mother. I mean, in a way, children are not supposed to think of the impact mm. on their mothers. I do remind the children of my my children of their impact on me and their general inconvenience at times. But <laughs> but you know, you they're the one person you would you, you expect them to want to see you, and you expect yeah. them to love you, and it's just relaxing. Yeah to be in their presence unless you have a really bad relationship with them. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's someone you're not trying to prove yourself no, to or that, anything like that. I think that's the thing. And uh, and that's also what's lovely about the word home as well. <laughs> oh, yes. You, you know, yes. we kind of set, get the children into external settings, but it's at home that you can relax, isn't it? It's at home that you can put your bags down and the worries of the day and... 
And I think the same for children. I think that's why the home setting is quite important, especially when they're very young, because that's where they're going to be the most relaxed in mm. because they're familiar with it. Um, and yet we're doing everything possible to take them away from home, take them away from mother. So, uh, you know, we are going to see problems. Yes, yes. Uh, and so that's why we're campaigning, just to make sure at the very least that the opportunity is there for, for as many people as possible who want it. <laughs> yes, yes. So the, the, what we want is for people to be able to have a, a choice mm. uh, to look after their children full time. I think if you're a mother and you feel you are raising your children the way you want to, yeah. it's very fulfilling yes. and uh, wonderful. When you feel that things are going wrong or you can't give them the time you want yeah. to, then I think that's quite a stressful environment. Well, it's to be really in. frustrating, especially when it's economics that are pushing you to mm. not do what you want to do. And, and if you look back, you know, to our parents' generation, it wasn't like that. They, I mean, it, you know, you had the flip side where people felt they had to be at home, but um, in just in terms of the economics, one person's salary on the whole could take care of the family. Well, we're now, you know, we're meant to have had 50 years of progress, but now two people's mm. salaries barely cover all the bills and the housing. So I think we just need to re-look re at what we value and, and, uh, and how we... Um, and how our economic policies are propping up certain lifestyles, I say lifestyles, certain yeah. ways of that we're, we're able to do things. Yes, yeah, so mothers are being forced into, um, in some circumstances, forced into a way of life that actually doesn't feel natural and uh, completely airbrushes what their children's needs are. Yeah. And I know yeah. that uh, What About the Children talks about that charity, talks about children needing um, consistent... I don't know what order they want it in, <laughs> consistent, sensitive and attuned, loving care. Yeah. And that's what mothers are designed to be able to give their children if the circumstances are right and they're able to do that. Yeah. And that's how children will thrive. And if you take away the sensitive side, so children, parents aren't responding to their children or aren't following them, then that's a problem. And if they are not loving, then that's, you know, that's a major issue. But uh, consistent is the problem that we have these days because people think that children can just be relocated from one setting to another yeah. and they're not in their home and they're not with the one person they most want to be with or the or their father. Uh, and then you, you do store up trouble and you're telling the child very early on that life is a random place and you, you can't rely on your mother being there when you need her. Mm. Yeah. Well, thank you for that uh, conversation on Mother's Day. My pleasure. And, and, uh, <laughs> happy Mother's Day. Happy <laughs> Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day. Well, we just want to say to all mothers out there that uh, you're extremely valuable and unique and you're, what you're doing for your children is amazing. And um, keep doing it and feel, feel affirmed in what you're doing. You can't be replaced by anyone that, uh, as a mother... You're the most important person in a ch in your child's life, along with their father, <laughs> and just uh, and have confidence. <laughs> have confidence. Go, go with faith. Yeah. Go forth and mother. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much for listening to this podcast with Anne Fennell. Uh, I'd love to hear from you if you have any feedback or ideas for future podcasts. I'm on Facebook. Mothers Matter podcast, also on Instagram, Mothers Matter podcast, and Twitter is at 
podcast mothers. My email is mothersmatter at outlook.com and I am Claire Pay. Now, I promised you uh, the details of the research that I referred to. This is about um, how mothers and fathers' brains are wired differently to respond to a baby's cry. So the, uh, the basically the summary of the research is that when women, either mothers or non-mothers, heard an infant crying, their frontal cortex, which is the emotional centre of their brains, snapped out of rest mode and prepared for activity to go to comfort the baby. So when a baby cries, it's the reasoning and motor centres of the man which light up, preparing for action to deal with any perceived threat. So the father launches into protector mode and the mother into comforting mode. Mothers respond instinctively to meet the emotional needs of their babies and fathers launching to thinking and analysing mode. Um, Also in this study, uh, it shows that mothers' brains grow in the first three months after giving birth, particularly in the areas responsible for motivation, reward and emotion processing, reasoning and judgment. In a cross-cultural study, all mothers will speak to a baby within two seconds of the baby vocalising to her. And by the time a baby is three months old, mother's brains have become attuned to the face of their baby and baby's brains have become attuned to the face of their mothers. So this is uh, um, research from the University of Michigan, Swain et al. 2011, on the neuroendocrinology of parental response to baby cry. And there's also an interview with Mark Bornstein, who's head of child and family research department at the National Institute of Child Health and Human Development in 2013, looking at how mothers and fathers differ in hormonal response to their babies. So that is just some of the research that's out there, but there's a, there's a lot more. And I really recommend the um, website of the charity called What About the Children? And they have pages and pages of research about the value of sensitive caring. And uh, people are starting to look more and more into mothers and why mothers are so important in their babies' lives, because this is something we have to prove at the moment. So if you'd like to know any more research, also feel free to contact me on the details I told you earlier. Thank you very much for listening, and I hope you tune in again soon. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Mothers Matter. Thank you to James Ede from Be Heard, who has done the audio production. And thank you to Mothers at Home Matter for all their support. If you have any positive comments, anything nice to say, please write to mothersmatter at outlook.com. If you feel it's really necessary, please send any constructive feedback to the same address, mothersmatter at outlook.com. And please do subscribe. I really, really would love it if you would subscribe. I'm hoping to do a number of very interesting interviews and to give a voice to mothers everywhere. My name is Claire Pay and you've been listening to the Mothers Matter podcast. Thank you.